Well, what is up, Element Church? Uh, whether you are right here in the room or joining us via video, uh, so glad that all of you are here with us this evening. If you are joining us online, by the way, I would like to ask you to share this video on your social media platforms. In doing that, you may not realize it, but you're partnering with us in our vision which is to be a movement of people having such an impact. If we were gone, our communities would miss us. And sometimes that community is our online community, that God's word is being preached literally around the world through this video. And you're a part of spreading that. So it would be a huge favor if you do that for us. And so glad that you're with us as well. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church. This is my second Sunday back following a three-month sabbatical that our family was blessed with by the church. And I know that some of you probably started coming to Element uh, while we were away. And if you stuck around, it must mean that you enjoyed the communicators, which they did an absolutely amazing job. So after tonight, if you're new, you might say, man, I liked it better when he was gone. So if you do think that, Leave me in ignorance and we'll all be better for it. I don't want to know. Just don't tell me if, if, you, if you think that. I do, though. I just want to take some time to kind of recap just quickly. I want you to know how proud I am of all of you here at Element Church. I don't think you realize, I don't think collectively we understand how abnormal it is for a church to offer their pastor a sabbatical and then to thrive while he is away. You guys literally did not miss a beat. And I thank you guys and so proud of you guys for all that you did while we were away. And I wish I could take time to tell you all the things God did in us and for us while we were away on the sabbatical, but I do, I feel like literally that would take weeks for us to unpack. I'm still unpacking in my own heart and mind the things that God has taught me and challenged me on in my life through the last several months, and so we just can't, we can't do that. Before the sabbatical, we had people uh, from the outside of the church who would ask me, aren't you worried about being gone for three months? What will happen to the church if you're gone? And then while we were gone, I don't know if you know this, but we literally went completely dark from any church communication, so I did not know what was happening on Sundays, I did not know attendance or giving or iHeart stuff. And we literally went dark in communication to and from the church, which was super, super weird to do. But I would tell people that while we were gone, and they would say the same thing. Aren't you worried? Like, what if the church is on fire? You don't even know. I mean, they just have all these crazy scenarios. And I, my response to all of them was this. No, I'm not worried. Here's why I'm not worried. Because we have the most amazing team of staff and, and volunteers and people on the planet, and they are going to knock it out of the park. That's exactly what you did, and I'm so, so proud of you. And I think we should celebrate all that God did the last three months here at Element Church. So I think we should celebrate that. Thank you is not enough, but it's the only two words we have in the English language. So I'll say it again. Thank you for being just an amazing church family. We are so excited to be back with you and excited and honored to be a part of of this church. I believe not only am I stronger and healthier because of this sabbatical, but I think our church will see dividends for this from this for years to come. I think we as a church be healthier and stronger because of this sabbatical. So a little heads up about where we're headed here in the next few weeks. I'm kind of easing back into a normal preaching rhythm. So I'll be preaching tonight, and then next Sunday, Pastor Andy's got a great message from God's Word for us. And the following week, on the 24th of September, I'll be starting a new sermon series uh, that'll be kind of back into our normal rhythm. It's a new sermon series called Walk This Way. 
And in this series, uh, we're going to be taking some, some scriptures and stories from scripture that were actual locations that Sabrina and I got to see while we were in Israel over the summer. And we're going to unpack those scriptures, look at some insights that I learned while, at the, while in Israel, and apply it to our everyday lives. Super, super excited about that series. Get to share uh, that with you as well. But today, today I have not preached in 14 weeks. So I am ready to preach. I don't know if you're ready, but I'm ready, okay? I can't guarantee it'll be very good. Got to shake the rust off a little bit, all right? So I I hope you're ready. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. All right. Like I'm expecting some feedback today from the room. I want some participation. So if you agree with something I say, you can say amen. If I say something good, you can say that's good. If I get preaching, you can say preach preacher or maybe even give a choo-choo from a train. It don't matter. Whatever you want to do, it's all good to me. So here's the big idea for today. And I believe this is a timely message God has for us. By the way, I told my, one of my daughters, I told her, she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something in service. I'm going to say it. And I told her, I said, if you say preach, preach out loud, I'll buy you Starbucks. And she didn't do it. So she didn't get Starbucks. But here's the big, here's the big idea uh, for today. You want to write it down, you can. In times of uncertainty, it's clarity that we need. In times of uncertainty, it's clarity we need. Now, here's why this is so important. Clarity and uncertainty work together, but they don't work for each other. They work against each other. That, that clarity and uncertainty are rivals, if you will. They, they are arch nemesis in our lives. And speaking of rivals, today is the start of the NFL football season. Two weeks ago, college football started, which means real sports are back. Can I get a witness up in here? Yes. Yeah, there you go. Preach, preacher is right. So sports teams have rivals, right? We have arch nemesis for our teams. For instance, the, the rival, the arch nemesis of the Broncos would be the Raiders. Right, very good. So then you have uh, UW, Wyoming. Arch nemesis would be CSU. Or if you go back far enough to when I was a kid, even BYU was a, a big, big rival. Either way, neither of those teams are any good. We're going to go with UW, right? So the, 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 the rival of the New England Patriots is God. That's right. And he proved it on Thursday. Yes. For at least a little while, they had the worst record in the NFL. You might... You might say, well, how can you say God's their enemy? They won the Super Bowl last year, Pastor Jeff. And I would just remind us that the Bible tells us that God sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. Now that will preach right there. So uncertainty and clarity, they are enemies. They are, they are arch rivals. On the one hand, uncertainty is the killer of many God-sized dreams. The the fear of the unknown, the what-ifs, the could-bes, the might-happens have stopped many people dead in their tracks. And listen, I get it. Because uncertainty can be overwhelming in our lives. Financial, spiritual, relational, emotional, uh, physical, political uncertainty. It's a very powerful, powerful thing. So I get it. It can be paralyzing in our lives. But clarity, clarity is not only something that can sustain me through uncertain times. Clarity strengthens me and steadies me so I can move forward even when I don't know what will happen to me if I do. 
In fact, I have a reminder of clarity written on a piece of tape right over here on these stairs that I walk up every week before I come over here to preach. And on this piece of tape is one word. I got a picture of that one word. It's the word perhaps that I've written or a friend of mine wrote on a piece of tape and put it there on the top step as a reminder. And that word perhaps comes from a story in the Old Testament portion of the Bible about a young man named Jonathan who was the son of the king of Israel, King Saul's son Jonathan, and Jonathan's armor bearer. And here they were in 1 Samuel 14 living in a world of uncertainty, literally paralyzed by fear. The Philistine army, which was the enemy army of Israel, was wreaking havoc on the nation and people of Israel. And the, the people of Israel were literally asking, what are the Philistines going to do? What will happen to us and our families and our houses and our lives? They were frozen in the fear of uncertainty, so much so that Saul and the entire Israelite army, were all they were doing was just camped out by a pomegranate tree. I don't know if they were eating fruit, just chilling, I don't know, but they were doing nothing frozen in fear. So Jonathan had enough. He knew he needed to act. So he gets his armor bearer, and he says to the armor bearer, let's go over to the outpost of this enemy army. Let's make a move. Let's do something for our God. And Samuel records Jonathan saying this to his armor bearer. 1 Samuel 14.6 says this. Perhaps, everyone help me out and say perhaps. perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Now that's uncertainty. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. For nothing can hinder the Lord. There's clarity. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. That's what Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Now if I were the armor bearer, I probably would have said, what you talking about, Willis? But he didn't say that, right? The armor bearer said, he said this, do what you think is best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. And while everyone else was overwhelmed by uncertainty, Jonathan and his armor bearer acted on their clarity in God. God moved on their behalf and with the two of them began to defeat the entire Israelite army. So every time I walk up these steps over here and I see that word perhaps on the tape, while I might be feeling a sense of uncertainty about bringing God's word to you, I am reminded every week that perhaps the Lord will help us for nothing can hinder the Lord. I already started preaching and I ain't even started preaching yet, okay? So if certainty, if, if uncertainty can be so overwhelming and clarity is what we need, then this big question we have to ask today, what things do I need clarity on in my life? What things do I need clarity on in my life? Now listen, you might be here today, and you would say, I don't, I don't even believe in God, I'm not a follower of Jesus, to which I would say, we are thrilled that you are here. There's literally no other place I'd rather you be than right here tonight if you don't believe. We say this all the time. You don't have to believe the same way we do to be a part of our church. You're welcome here whether you ever believe what we believe, and I, and I mean that. I just hope you understand that these things we're, we're going to look at that we need clarity on they are deeply rooted in our belief in God. That because we believe in God, there are some things we must be clear on in our lives. Just want you to be 
aware of that. Main scripture is Jeremiah 20, 7 through 18. So if you want to turn there, you can. All of it will be on the screens. And if you don't own your own Bible, man, we'd love to give you one. Uh, so ask for one at guest services uh, or at the next steps wall out in the lobby. We'll get you one for free. Jeremiah was a prophet that God chose to send his message through to the people of Israel. Like so many times before, the people of Israel had, had wandered from God, neglected the temple, disobeyed his laws, decrees, commands, and regulations. And in chapter 1 of Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah, I have appointed you to be a prophet to the nations, a prophet to my people. You, you will tear down and uproot some nations and you will build up and plant other nations. Basically, he told Jeremiah, I'm calling you to be my messenger to my my people. So Jeremiah receiving that message had to be thinking, God's got this, right? Like it's good. People will listen, they'll, they'll turn from their wicked ways, they'll believe in God again, and that is everything that did not happen to Jeremiah. Not only did the people not listen, but they turned against Jeremiah. They hated him and hated his message. Their hatred grew so much that in the first six verses of Jeremiah chapter 20, he was arrested by the priest of the temple of God. He was whipped, then placed in stocks, put at the city gate on display for all to see. This is what happens when you deliver messages like Jeremiah. He was released the next day with the understanding that if he ever gave a message from God again, this would happen again to him. So Jeremiah now, verse 7, we're going to pick up, crying out to God, says this. O Lord, you misled me. And I allowed myself to be, to be misled. Hello. It's an accusation of God, right? You're stronger than I am, and you overpowered me. Now I'm mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. Have you ever felt in life, a certain situation, that you were sold a false bill of goods about something? Ever happened to you? Just sold a false bill of goods? For instance, going to shift gears here for a second and kind of change the tone of the room just for a moment. Here's an illustration. There is a cake out there that has a very specific name. Some of you will start tracking with me here in a second. I'm, it's my first Sunday back, so I'm going to be a little bit lighter, softer than maybe I normally would and use this time to remind our church that this is why we have a great kids program that teaches your kids about Jesus in a very relevant way, a very appropriate way to their age because this cake's name implies that it is better than something else in life that I am the first to admit is really, really, really good. Some of you know where I'm going. It's called better than blank cake. Better than bounce chicka, wow, wow. Okay. I think Tone Loke wrote a song about it. Boys to Men wrote a song about it. Shame on you for knowing those songs. I've only heard about them. <laughs> so there's this cake out there. And I'll never forget the time that my wife and I uh, invited some friends of ours to have their bridal shower over at our house. They're good friends of ours. And so we invited the, all the ladies over. We also invited the guys over to the house as well uh, to hang out. The ladies in one room, guys in another room. And this cake was being served at, at, this, at this party. And so the cake, you know, served. And we, all the guys go into the kitchen. We grab some of this 
better than that cake, and we come back and we, and we sit down, and my friend, who is the groom, super close friend, uh, he takes a bite of the cake, he kind of looks at me, takes another bite of the cake, looks at me again, and then somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but with a tone of seriousness, he says, this cake really isn't better than that, is it? To which I said, oh, friend, are you in for a treat? <laughs> He felt that perhaps he'd been sold a false bill of goods. I think he was hoping he'd been sold a false bill of goods, to be honest with you. But listen, that's where Jeremiah was at with God. You sold me a false bill of goods, God. I didn't ask for this. You chose me. You asked me to speak for you. I didn't even want to do it, but I did. And now I've been arrested and whipped and put in stocks. I have no idea what will happen to me next. Where are you, God? I did what you asked, and now my life sucks. You sold me a false bill of goods. You misled me. But he continues with this, verses 8 and 9. When I speak, the words burst out, violence and destruction. I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made, a, made me a household joke. But, I haven't made this joke in 14 weeks. It's a big butt. Jeremiah likes big butts and he cannot lie. I'm waiting 14 weeks, I'm telling you. But, if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. Like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. Jeremiah was saying, God, even though your message has caused me much pain, even though I am uncertain about what will happen to me if I continue to preach your word, I cannot and I will not stop doing what my God has called me to do. Jeremiah knew the very first thing we need to be clear on in life. So what should we be clear on in life? Number one is this, I must be clear on God's purpose in my life. Got to be clear on God's purpose in my life. And listen, everyone here, everyone without exception, has a God-sized purpose you are to pursue. Everyone. In fact, every Sunday before I come out here for the 9 a.m. service. There's a group of men uh, that gather in my office. My dad is in there. Some of our leadership council members uh, come in there. And we just pray over you. We pray over the day, pray over the service. And today, one of our guys was praying, and he prayed this prayer. He said, God, if we still have breath, you still have a purpose for us. So good. If you're still breathing, God's not done with you. I heard another preacher say this, if you're not dead, God's not done. It's a purpose for you in life. And listen, for me, church, for me, what Jeremiah said about the word burning in his heart like a fire, that's how I feel about preaching here at Element Church. Like this is what I'm called to do. I know my purpose. One of the verses I pray over myself uh, every service before I come out here is Jeremiah 20 verse 9. 
If I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire, like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. And I pray, God, when I speak, I pray that your words would come bursting out of my mouth as if they've been pent up inside of me. And I pray, God, that you connect those words with people's hearts. I know this is my purpose. To which you might say, I don't have that, Pastor Jeff. I don't know God's purpose for me. I don't know God's will for my life. To which I would challenge us with with this. I've said this before. I'll continue doing this as your pastor. I think it's a good challenge for all of us, me included. That we need to stop concerning ourselves with God's will for our entire life. And start obsessing ourselves with God's will for our every day. That's ultimately God's purpose for all of us. That today, I live out his will for today. Because here's the thing. Think about it. If you live out God's will for your today, and then you do that again tomorrow, and you extrapolate that out to the end of your life, you've just accomplished God's will for your life by simply living out his will for your today. I believe it's in living out God's will for every day that he begins to reveal for us his will for our entire life. So here's another challenge for us. Why would God show us any more of his will for our life if we are not willing to do the parts of his will we already know? Because I'm telling you, There are way too many Christians that know way more than what they are willing to do. And we're asking God, show me your will for my life. Show me your will for my life. And God's saying, back up the truck. How about we do your will for today that you've not surrendered to yet? And let me add something else I don't have time to hang out on. I'm just going to say it. We cannot know God's will apart from being in God's word. Yet so many Christians spend little to no time reading God's word. That would be like me trying to figure out what my wife wants without ever talking to her. It's hard enough when I do talk to her. (laughs) Be careful what you say amen, guys. And we don't do that with people. We do it all the time with God. We think, Sunday, we think Sunday's enough, right? I, I, I can't hang out there. Listen, you, you might hate your job. You might hate where you live. You might hate where you go to school. You might hate what God is allowing you to go through in this life, and I completely understand. But have we ever stopped for a moment to think that maybe God has us in those places for a purpose? And maybe, just maybe, the one purpose he has for us is that maybe... By the way we live, he could be seen and heard and found through you. That maybe that place that you hate to be right now, there's someone else who doesn't know Jesus yet, and God's put you there to lead them to him. That's purpose enough for me. So in times of uncertainty, it's clarity we need. So what do we got to be clear on in life? Got to be clear on God's purpose in my life. Jeremiah continues, says this. 
I've heard the many rumors about me. They call me the man who lives in terror. They, they threaten, if you say anything, we'll report it. Even my old friends are watching me, waiting for a fatal slip. He'll trap himself, they say, and then we'll get our revenge on him. All this uncertainty, but the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Come on. Like, listen, I don't know what you are facing in life today. But as a believer, the Lord stands beside you like a great warrior. I don't know the uncertainty that you face in this life, but the Lord stands beside you like a great warrior. I don't know how many of you are wanting to throw in the towel and give up altogether, but the Lord stands beside you like a great warrior. He is your defender. He is your helper. He is your protector. He is your warrior, and he will keep you safe. He is where you put your trust, but the Lord stands beside Beside me like a great warrior. Come on, church. Then he says this, before him my persecutors will stumble. They cannot defeat me. And listen, church, they might kill you, but they cannot defeat you. That's what Jeremiah was saying. Why? Because his life was hidden in Christ. It cannot be taken away. They will fail and be thoroughly humiliated. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of heaven's armies, you test those who are righteous. You examine the deepest thoughts and secrets. Let me see your vengeance against them, for I have committed my cause to you. Jeremiah was clear on the second thing we must be clear on as well. It's this, God's power in my life. I've got to be clear on God's power in my life. We sang about this earlier. In the great song, Unstoppable God, impossible things will be done, we said, in his name. We sang about it in the amazing song Pastor Jared wrote, author of The Cure, which by the way, that to me, like, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. That to me, I'll tell Jared later, he'll laugh. That to me is, is a rich, theological, heavy song that I don't think we understand how blessed we are to have a guy like Jared on our team to write theology into music that we sing. That's all I'm going to say. Amazing song. I hope you guys uh, latch on to those words. We sang it in that song. You might not even know this. We were singing scripture. In the, in the Psalms it says, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from who? The Lord. That's what we sang in author of of the cure. Jeremiah said, I'm facing massive amounts of uncertainty. I don't know what will happen next, but the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. I've committed my cause to him. And listen, that doesn't mean we won't have to face any more problems. It just means he can give us the power to endure them. If we're not clear on the power of God in our life, we will be crushed by the weight of uncertainty that comes from the problems in our life. Do you know that in Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians, I've said this every service, and I keep on forgetting to look it up, but I think it's in Ephesians, uh, the apostle Paul tells us, it's one of the Paul's letters, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to those who believe. I don't know of a greater power than resurrection power, and God says, I'm giving that to you if you want it. And you're telling me I can't endure this problem? 
it overcame the grave, it can overcome my bad day. (laughs) Then Jeremiah says this in verse 13. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For though I was poor and needy, he rescued me from my oppressors. And here we have this, this stunning turn of events. Sounds like, it sounds like a good news story. A stunning turn of events. Jeremiah stops pointing to his problems and starts praising the only person who can save him from them. He says, sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. And to be honest, I'm reading this thinking, really? Literally just moments ago, you were accusing God of misleading you, and now you're praising that very same God, and then Jeremiah says, he rescued me from my oppressors. No, he hadn't. (laughs) Jeremiah was arrested and whipped and put in stocks and placed on display and commanded not to deliver the messages of God again. He had not been rescued yet, but he was acknowledging the only one who could. He was giving praise to his God. He was praising God for what he knew he could do, not just what he already did. I created a word for this sermon, okay? Here's this word I created that that I think sometimes our praise needs to be pre-praise. We need to pre-praise God. Because if we just praise God for what he's already done, and we don't start praising him for what he's able to do, we'll be overwhelmed by our uncertainty. Because our problem is we keep our eyes down. We look at circumstances and problems and pain, and our answer is, God, take away the pain. Sometimes that's not God's answer. Sometimes his answer is to look up above the pain and praise the one who can take it away And while he can and sometimes does, the more powerful miracle of God is not taking away our problems and pain. It's giving us the power to endure and giving us the strength to praise him in spite of it. So in times of uncertainty, it's clarity we need. What must we be clear on in life? Got to be clear on God's purpose in my life, God's power in my life. And then that verse we just read, Jeremiah makes it clear, we've got to be clear on God's place in my life. I think Jeremiah, to be honest, just got to a place where he was able to say, you are God and I am not, so I surrender my life to you. That that even though my life's in shambles right now, even though my life is filled with uncertainty and pain, I know what my purpose is, and I will continue to live in it. And I know your power, God, will see me through it, and I know that you deserve my praise in spite of it, so you are God and I am not. Got to get there, church. Got to get there. And what happened next then? So Jeremiah gets it all right. God's purpose, God's power, God's God's place. What happens next? Well, surely the angels of God show up and wipe out his oppressors, right? Nope. Jeremiah continued to live in uncertainty, not knowing when his life would be taken from him. People against him constantly. Well, Well, surely the people listened, turned back to God. Revival swept the land, right? Nope. As far as we know, 
for the entire ministry of Jeremiah, not one person listened and turned. Not one. Well, surely, after all this, Jeremiah snapped out of it, right? And all of a sudden, the depression was gone. He felt good. Everything was roses, right? Nope. His life continued to suck. His feelings did not change right away. I'm telling you, if you're here and you are skeptical of the Bible and you don't think the Bible's relevant or the Bible is real, let me tell you something. The Bible does not sugarcoat reality. There is no happy ever after, no neat resolved conclusion all the time. If you were reading this story as a novel, watching it as a movie, you would hate the ending. You'd hate it. It would be like the ending of the movie Titanic. Like, come on, Rose, there's room on the board. Just put him on it. Stupid ending. We know the boat's going to sink, but save Jack. Oh, it drives me crazy. But I digress. Look what, look what Jeremiah says. Like, I'm telling you, I, I tried to find a way not to include this in the sermon because this is like, this is reality. Verses 14 to 18, Jeremiah ends this cry to God. Yet I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. I curse the messenger who told my father, good news, you have a son. Let him be destroyed like the city of his, cities of old the Lord overthrew without mercy. Terrify him all day long with battle shouts because he did not kill me at birth. Oh, that I had died in my mother's womb, that her body had been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. And it's done. That's the end of his prayer. And if you're telling me the Bible's not real, here's how I know that's real. Because that's how some of you feel right now. I wish I'd never been born. My life is filled with trouble and sorrow and pain. Maybe trouble, sorrow, and pain that I brought upon myself. Maybe trouble and sorrow and pain that was brought upon me. Either way, I'm not even worthy to live. And I'm here to tell you that when we start to believe that about ourselves, what we have done is fallen for a lie from the pit of hell itself. We sang about it in the song, Author of the Cure, that we have believed the enemy's lies. But when we look to the hills from where our help comes from, hope is restored to our eyes. That's why we got to look above the pain. I'm not saying your pain will go away. I'm, I'm saying it's legitimate to be in pain. It's legitimate to hurt. It's legitimate to even feel like I wish I was never born. I'm just telling you that is not how God feels about you. In fact, you need to know this today, that God does not love you because of anything you've done or anything that's happened to you. He loves you unconditionally, and he proved it when he came as Jesus, died on a cross, and rose from the dead. Unconditional, radical, extravagant love that you cannot repay, you can only accept. <laughs> That's good. So just because you're clear on these things doesn't mean your situation or your feelings will change. Clarity does not change circumstances. Clarity, though, will help me overcome them, get through them, rise above them, and praise God in spite of them. 
So in times of uncertainty, what do I need to be clear on? God's purpose in my life, God's power in my life, God's place in my life. So maybe you're here today and you say, Jeff, I do believe. I'm a believer in Jesus, but man, I've dropped the ball on one or two or all three of these things in my life. I've, I'm focusing like this. I want my focus to be like this. I just want to acknowledge that. Everybody looking around, who here would say, yep, that's me. I want to acknowledge that. I want you to pray for me. I've just dropped the ball. Lots and lots and lots of hands. Let's pray right now. God, in the name of Jesus, we saw hands go up all over the place. And Lord, there's so many times my hand's in the air as well. I dropped the ball. So God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you'd begin to refocus our hearts, our minds, our lives on your purpose, your power, and your place in our life. Lord, bless those who said, yep, that's me. Lord, I pray that you defeat the enemy's lies in their life in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, maybe you're here today and you'd say, I, I, here's the thing, great message, or maybe not, whatever, but here's the thing, I've not put my faith in Jesus. And I would tell you, it all starts there. Like, you, you might have a purpose, you, you, might, you might know about God's power, you might even say, yep, I can sing songs to God, I'll praise Him. But if you do not know Him in your heart, all of it doesn't matter. All of it. So maybe you're here and you're thinking, man, I, I, I feel this tug on my heart. That's called the Holy Spirit. He's drawing you in. Maybe it's time for you to put your faith in Jesus if you've never done that. And so if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me just silently in your heart to God. We should pray this prayer to God if you want to ask Him to be your Savior. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. I believe he came for me, died in my place, rose from the dead, and I put my faith in Jesus. Forgive me of my sins, wash me clean, make me new. Come into my heart, help me turn from my old life and follow you in my new life. Thanks for loving me, God. I'll do my best to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to do something very bold. And I want you to lift up your hand and say, that's me. I just asked Jesus into my heart. Anybody here say that right there? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Awesome. Listen. I say this every time. That is the best decision you'll ever make. It's the hardest one you'll ever keep, and you need help. So I wrote a devotional for you called 21. It gets you taking your next steps with Jesus. It'll get you uh, going through the book of John in the New Testament over 21 days. We'll give you some practical things to put into your life that will help you walk with Jesus. We'd love to know about it. Mark on your connection card that you ask Jesus into your heart. I promise we won't do anything weird. We just want to celebrate with you and offer you some tools on your behalf. I love you guys. It's so good to be back with you. Um, can't wait to see what God does in our church, through our church, in this next season of ministry. Let me pray for you real quick. Then Pastor Andy's got some closing remarks. God, you're so good. So thankful, Lord, for a word that was written literally thousands of years ago. It's relevant to me today. You have a purpose for my life. You have power in my life. And, Lord, I pray your place would be a place of praise in my life. In Jesus' name.